going to talk about uh, this incident with Moses and uh, how important it is to our understanding of who God is and, and who we are and who we can be in Him. And I think this is a, a, an interesting story. A lot of people know this story. It's been depicted in our culture over and over again. It's, a, it's in one way a miraculous story and a unique story, and in another way it's uh, something that God has uh, for every person, if we'll but open our hearts up to Him. It starts off by, like this. <clears throat> now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he had led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire um, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, <clears throat> excuse me, when the Lord saw that um, he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, the God. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would add a blessing in the, to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray and ask all these things. Amen. Sometimes when we think of the word holy, um, we tend to think of somebody who is this uh, uber saint, <laughs> who is uh, superior in every way, maybe even uh, closer to God or, or, even, or claims to be closer to God. And uh, we, we tend to think of them as uh, somebody who um, at least thinks they can do no wrong or acts like they can do no wrong. And uh, we tend to call that um, being holier than thou, someone who um, walks around with their nose in the air, who has uh, this idea of a moral superiority, uh, that they're better than everyone else. And a lot of times um, it involves arrogance and pride. And, and, and we tend to look down on, on that word holiness. And, and we tend to think only God is, is holy and there's nobody else that, that can be holy or become holy. And, uh, you know, and, and we tend to look at it as, as this haughty uh, thing. But ho being holy and, and holiness is far more than, than those kinds of things. In fact, I, I would contend that uh, somebody who, who is arrogantly prideful with moral superiority is not a holy person. A holy person is someone who is humble and takes on the very nature of God, but realizes that only God can give that, that good nature to them. It's all about humility and faith and, and, and a surrender to God. Well, first of all, we learn that God is holy. And, and, and we learn that from this passage. 
Uh, this is one of the first times in the Old Testament that the word holy is mentioned. Uh, the earlier time, of course, is when uh, God created the seventh day and said that it would be a holy Sabbath, a day of rest and of celebration of the Lord. But God here, is, is, he describes himself, um, or he, he says that the ground that Moses is standing on is holy. But I would say it's because God is holy, and everything that God touches, therefore becomes holy. Well, let's remember who Moses is as well. I mean, we, we, know, we know about you know, um, his story. We know his background. And, and here he, he encounters God in a miraculous way. And we, and we tend to think of, of Moses as one of these, these holy figures who is you know, above other people and, and therefore um, uh, you know, better than most people, not, not because um, we, we think that he's arrogant or anything like that, but because um, of, of the way God used Moses. But we have to remember that it, at this time, when, when Moses meets with God, Moses is a flawed person. A very flawed person. In fact, he's a lot more like one of us. He was born as, as a Jew. He was born as a Jewish slave in Egypt. And his um, destiny at that time, uh, like, like most of these young Hebrew children, especially the firstborn sons of the Hebrews, uh, they were supposed to be killed because Pharaoh wanted to control the population. So what do you do? You kill the firstborn males. So Moses was, was, was a slave in Egypt, a person of a lowly lot, a, a poor person who didn't have anything of his own. Everything that he had belonged to uh, the, the, the Egyptian slave owners and, 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 and to Pharaoh himself even. Uh, Moses had nothing of, of really of his own. He was, he was a slave in Egypt, born, born to work for uh, this great empire, and yet also set to be uh, killed. And we know the story. Um, Pharaoh ordered another purge of the Israelites. Uh, they were looking around for firstborn sons. And so Moses' mother, Jochebed, um, put him in a basket and sent him adrift on the Nile River in, in hopes that uh, someone of the Egyptians would find him and take pity on him and rescue him. But she had her daughter uh, Miriam, uh, Moses' older sister, follow him to make sure that um, you know, th that the, reed, the little reed boat made it safely somewhere and, and not, you know, taken by the river or, or an alligator or something like that. Um, but it just so happened, <clears throat> um, and I think because of the prayers of God's people in, in, in their slavery and in their oppression, he drifted um, into the, the palace of, of uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And she took him in, took pity on his low estate, and uh, made him a... Uh, a child in her own palace. She adopted him as, as a son, and he lived in the palace. So we have to remember that, you know, Moses, you know, what, what was a low, lowly figure, a lot like us, uh, you know, j just a common person um, who, who ended up in, with, with a great destiny because the Lord was watching after him. And I, and I believe that. But also, but even as Moses was raised up in the palace, and even though he um, became uh, uh, rich. He, I'm sure he inherited some of the, uh, the, the wealth of Egypt uh, through his, through his uh, adoptive mother. And he, he was considered a prince of Egypt. And, but he goes out one day knowing his heritage and he sees uh, one of the Egyptian slave ma masters uh, beating one of the Jewish slaves almost to death. 
And so he stops the, ta the slave master and kills him. And so, you know, not only has, is, was Moses born a, a poor slave and a common person, a commoner, really, who, who uh, received a great fortune because of God's grace, now he was a murderer, a sinner. A, 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 you know, and, and, and we, can, we can try to vindicate Moses and say what he did was good, but, but God looked at it as, as a bad thing. Um, he, he became a murderer. He, 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 what he did, he did out of rage and anger. And in fact, um, it became known um, even by Moses' own people. Um, and and uh, uh, Moses comes up to, to uh, two Jewish men, and the Jewish men are fighting. And Moses says, hey, you guys need, need to stop fighting. And, and one of the guys says, what? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian the other day? Oh, <laughs> um, Moses, um, you know, he had been found out. They, they knew that he had... Uh, killed the Egyptian slave owner, it would not be long before he would be arrested. And so Moses escaped from Egypt. So he was in exile. So not only was he you know, a, 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 common, uh, a commoner, a, a common man, even a slave in the Egyptian empire, he was, he was also a murderer and, uh, and, and in exile. He, he was a man without a country anymore. Not, not, the, not the country he was adopted into, and, and, and certainly not, not among his people. And, he, and here he was, he's forced to go to the land of Midian to, to, to live there in, in, in exile. And, and while there, he happens to run, run across a, a priest of Midian. Now, this is not a priest of God. This was a pagan priest named Jethro who had um, some daughters. And... Um, Moses encounters him and, and this uh, uh, priest of Midian, Jethro, who's also a shepherd, um, takes Moses in. Moses marries one of his daughters and he, um, he spends time tending sheep there in, in his exile. And God you know, showed him some great grace. So not only was Moses a murderer, not only was he an exile, not only was he uh, a shepherd, which was a, a common employment, and there's nothing wrong with common employment, I'm just saying... Moses is a regular guy, just like any one of us, <laughs> a, a, a working man who had gone through um, some great tragedies, some great problems in life. And then there's, you know, this, this scene here where Horeb is known as the mountain of God. That's probably where they went and did sacrifices. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the one true God comes to that mountain. And the way God appears to them is, is, is to appear in this great and mysterious sight, a, um, a, a flame of fire that's burning a bush, and yet it was not consuming the bush. The bush wasn't being destroyed. There was just a flame of fire in it. And Moses happens to see this, and he says, I'm turning aside from the flock and going up to see what this is. And he hears the voice of God. What does it mean for God to be holy? It's, it, it, it's a strange and mysterious term that we know um, not a whole lot about. But it has to do first and foremost with uh, God's uniqueness. With who God is in Himself. That God Himself is the one and the only. There is uh, none beside Him. There is none before Him. There is none after Him. 
And He is God and God alone. There are no other gods. And He is unlike anything in the universe. He, he is unlike anything in all of creation. God is the utterly unique being. That's first and foremost what, what holiness is. It's the idea of uniqueness, but also carries kind of the idea of separation. God is not the world, and He is certainly not any of us. That goes against a lot of what paganism ta taught, and it goes against a lot of what humanism, modern secular humanism, teaches. And the reason I say that is, you know, um, the pagans, you know, they, they thought God existed in, in trees and plants and, and um, uh, mountains and rivers, uh, the sky, that the sun god was the most powerful god in most of these religions. Um, they, they equated nature with God. God dwelled within these natural things, according to them. And so when they made images of wood and stone, you know, that, those images of wood and stone, they believe, possess something of God. But God in His holiness is separate from the world. He is not nature. He's not anything in nature. And He's certainly not any of us. Um, modern secular humanism says that um, uh, man is the apex of, of all creation and that there is nothing beyond mankind and that, that, that we are the, the ones who are, who are at the top. Uh, that there's no such thing as supernatural. When we know that that's a lie because of what God's Word tells us and what it reveals to us. And I would say there's some other arguments um, that I could get into about our biology and the way that we're made and, the way, and who we are um, that, that tell us um, that there is a God. Um, but, but God is not definitely not anything in humanity. In fact, there are um, religions that teach that um, what we uh, as human beings um, can do eventually is if, if, if we're a good person and, and we continue to do the right things and if we're, and if we're moral um, and, and, and we follow God, and, you know, um, God faithfully, that we can ascend to Godhood status ourselves and someday run our own planet. Uh, that is not what Scripture teaches us. Only God is God. <laughs> and He is God alone. He is, he is not the world and He is not us. That's one of the things that's very unique about the Bible. That when we talk about God being holy, it, 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 it emphasizes the fact that God is God alone and there is no one else but, but Him. That there are no other gods beside Him. He is separate from the world. Holiness also has, or being holy has to do with God's power as well. He is the all-powerful creator of all things and controls the whole universe. If He, if he is God and God alone, and, and, and He is the all-powerful being that we talk about, then of course, you know, He's, he's all-powerful creator of all things. And only He, therefore, is worthy of honor and glory and praise as God, the being above all beings, the God above all creation. He is the one, the object of our worship. We were made to worship God as human beings. It's part of who we are as, as people. And if we're not worshiping the one true God, what tends to happen is we, we turn to uh, nature and worship it, or we, or we turn to things and worship it like, like the material things in the world. You know, the worship of money, the love of money, is, is, is not much different than um, the worshiping of, of uh, the wooden stone gods that they, they, they worshiped so long ago. 
But part of being holy has to do with God's honor and glory. He, he deserves that honor and glory alone as God. But even in the Bible, one of the things that gets applied to this concept of God is holy, and it's not very much in other, other um, religions, is that God is a good God. That's part of what His holiness means. It emphasizes, in the Bible, it emphasizes God's goodness. God, God's goodness um, meaning that he's going to, he, his, all of his intentions are to do good to others. And how he treats other people. It's a moral goodness. It's an ethical goodness. Morality has to do with me and how I live according to a standard. Ethics has to do with the application of morality, how I treat others. God is absolute goodness. In other words, he is so against corruption and evil and sin of the world. He's completely opposed to that. He's the opposite of what sin is. He's the opposite of corruption. He's the opposite of evil. Some people indicated that God created evil. God did not create evil. God allowed free will in His creation. and He allowed Himself to be rejected. And He allowed people to uh, uh, turn away from Him because God doesn't want my nun robots. He wants people to choose Him as much as He chose them. <laughs> but evil exists because, because um, e evil is what exists outside of God and His goodness. And when we, when, when we rejected God a long time ago, we rejected the only thing left to us, and that was evil. <laughs> but God Himself is good. He is a good God. He is absolute goodness. And His... his, his uh, wills to do goodness to His people because He does love us. And that's another major aspect of what holiness is. It's about because God is good, God loves. <laughs> he loves His creation. He loves His people. Later on in the New Testament, we learn that, that God is love uh, because He loves the Son and loves the Spirit. And, and, and the Spirit loves God the Father and the Spirit uh, loves Jesus and Jesus loves the Spirit and, and, and the Father. That they, they exist as a communion of holy love. An utterly unique being who exists in three persons, one divine essence, in a bond of holy love for, for each, each, each other within the members of that Trinity. That's how John is able to say in, in his letter of 1 John that God is love. So God's holiness encompasses all of those things. His uniqueness, His character, His, his, his all-powerfulness, His um, love of His creation, His goodness. He is completely opposite of what evil is. He's, he's pure. And so He is um, worthy to be worshipped and praised by us. To be respected by us. Because He is the source of all love and goodness. Yet the world who has rejected Him is full of evil. And you and I live under that evil. And, and we see it every day. But to look upon God in worship. To come and gather together. To worship the Lord our God. Is a chance for us 
to briefly step out of that evil and corruption in the world and access something that is so good and pure and holy and yet all-powerful. It's a chance for us to, to, to lay aside briefly that, those things uh, that, that, that um, hurt us, that, that are um, uh, painful to us, that, that cause us to suffer, that are the results of, of evil and sin in the world. We let those things go in those moments when we access God and, and look to Him. And, and, and in fact, God loves us so much that He wants to help us in those, with, with those things, the evil and the suffering that we're going through. God, God is opposed to those things and He will um, thwart them in His own time because God does um, hate evil. And, and God, you know, is such a loving and gracious and holy God that He, um, you know, uh, wants to do those things for us. He doesn't exist just for Himself. He exists for others and He exists for us. All those things are considered holy when we talk about God. Now we see in this passage that when God appears, He appears as, as a, a, a flame. And, and, and that flame is also a, send, a, a, a symbol of, of, of the purity and holiness of God. Because what a flame does is that it, that it purges uh, the garbage. <laughs> it purges the chaff. It burns it away. But God's flame only purges the chaff but leaves the, what, what's good behind. And just like th th this flame is, is seen in the bush... A, a, a flame that purifies and burns away, yet it does not consume that bush, that, that person. That's how we, we, we should view God's holiness as it's working in our lives, I think. God is, is a holy flame who's purging away that which is wicked and yet leaving uh, that which is good about us and, and, and it doesn't consume us. And I think God wanted that um, image of Himself to be to, for Moses to see in his mind that he, that he could see that, that, that there was a flame in this bush, but it was not being consumed. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to purify us. And then He tells Moses, Take off your shoes, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. What that says to me is that whatever God ch touches, wherever God is present, He makes that thing holy. And that is all throughout the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I would even say throughout the whole rest of the Bible. That whatever, whatever God touches, whatever belongs to God, the space that He is in becomes holy. The objects used to worship God are called holy. The temple is called holy. The priests who serve the Lord are called holy. Everything that God touches and everything that He chooses and everything that belongs to Him is called to be holy. And I think what He's really telling Moses here that yes, this ground where you're standing is holy. This area that you're standing in is holy because my presence is here. But I'm also calling you, Moses, to be holy. 
He wants Moses to belong to him. He, want, he, he has chosen Moses for a particular task. Because Moses is in a unique situation that I think God may have been preparing him for all along. But Moses still has to agree to what God is doing. God, God's not imposing himself on Moses. Moses is interested in the sight. He turns aside to go and see it. And he hears the voice of the Lord. And he does take off his, his, uh, his shoes. And he, he walks on the holy ground hearing, hearing God's voice. And um, he, he's responding positively to God. And, he, and, he, and God has chosen him. And, and, and he is, he's therefore turning and, and choosing God. God. God chooses us first. But we also have to choose Him, in other words. But what God is about to do, and He, and he tells Moses that, that He's heard the cries of His people, and that He's calling him to go and speak to, um, to Pharaoh and try to release them. But, but he's, he's, He tells him first, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of all these people. Now I want to be your God. I want to be the God of Moses. It's interesting how... Um, you know, gods have a lot of names, but the gods always involve that the pagan gods always involve some place or or um, some some sort of um, part of nature that they're named after. But God chooses people to name Himself after. He chose Abraham, and He gives Himself a name. You know, I am Abraham's God, but I am the God of Abraham. That's my name. I'm the God of Isaac. That's my name. I, I, I'm the God of, of uh, Jacob. That's my name. I'm, I, I'm the God of Joseph. And now he wants to be the God of Moses. God takes his people into himself as much as he, and he gives himself to them. This is why I always believe in what's called synergism, not monergism. It's not just God acting. It's us in response to God. God calls us. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to be the God of Moses. I want to be the, be, be the God of John. I want to be the God of Kathy. I want to be the God of Vernon. I want to be the God of, of Viva, and so on and so forth. God gives himself to us and then takes our own name as, as, as him. It's, it, it's this mutual coming together. And whatever God touches, and whoever is possessed by God, he makes them holy. It's not about being holier than thou. It's not about moral superiority. It's about belonging to God and allowing us and allowing Him to transform us. We have no holiness in ourselves. It's all based on what God has done and who He is, of how He takes us in and brings us into Himself and, and takes us as His own. And we have no holiness of our own. It only comes from God and because of His choosing. And, and, and when we accept God's choosing, when we accept His call, God's purpose for us is to make us holy. Because whatever God touches, He's going to make us holy. And what is my point here? God does not want us to live as double-minded people. God does not want us to, to have one foot in the church, so to speak, and one foot out in the world. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm talking about the world. I'm talking about the world and its godlessness that is turned away. I'm talking about a, 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 a world that's focused on materialism and not on God. God does not take us out of the world. Um, we're still part of the world and we have to exist in it. But God wants us to be exclusively His, not to have a divided heart. Holiness is as much about wholeness as it is anything else. Our whole self, body, soul, and mind belonging to God. And not having divided loyalties between this thing and that thing and, and whatever else. God wants us to, to be exclusively His. And if we do that, there's, there's great and glorious benefits to that. God wants to, re, to purge the sin within us. He wants to purge that double-mindedness. He wants to purge those inconsistencies. He wants to get rid of the sinful habits in our lives. Too often we, we, we um, think that um, uh, getting rid of sin means I have to, to do it on my own. It's not so much that we have to do it on our own. It's that we have to surrender to the God who can make us holy. And when we say, Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. He begins cleansing us of those sins. But that, but we have, the, this is the glorious thing about salvation in, in, my, in my thought. And, and, and the New Testament talks a lot about this. Is that people work and work and work to try to do moral good. And they're hoping that, that those works somehow outweigh the wickedness that they did. And, and maybe if, 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 if our good works work out, uh, maybe it will blot out the wickedness that we did in the past. Um, that, that is a defeatist kind of, of um, idea. To try to, try, to try to do the good work to balance out our evil. I mean, how is that? I mean, uh, that, that's going to cause a lot of stress in our lives. That, that's going to cause us to spin a lot of wheels. And, and we somehow hope that that's what's going to give us our salvation. But God says no. To have any kind of forgiveness, to have any kind of cleansing, to have any kind of holiness, you have to surrender your heart and life to me. That's the only thing that you and I can do is surrender to God and allow Him to do that for us. It's not about our own efforts. It's not about our own, own, own attempts at trying to be good. It's not about our seemingly moral superiority. <laughs> it's the opposite of moral superiority. It's about humility and it's about giving ourselves to God and allowing Him to work in our hearts and lives. God told the Israelites in the law later on. He talks about this in Leviticus. Be ye holy as I am holy. He wants us to be His completely in our hearts and lives. And when we surrender to Him, God God begins working those things out in our hearts and lives. Um, he begins you know, pushing out, out the sinful baggage that, that we've taken on in the world and helps us to live in, in the joy and peace that He offers. And even in the midst of trouble and strife and, and, and things going on around us that, that, that are uh, trying to weigh us down and those kinds of things, God can be a, a strong presence in our lives helping us and guiding us through those situations. And, and, and he, he tells us that, that if we give ourselves to Him, He'll make us His, He'll make us holy, and then we can carry all the way into that glorious kingdom to come.
Because as the book of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The good news is we don't have to be holy in ourselves. All we do is surrender to God fully and completely, and He can make us holy. I'm going to ask Michael, if you will again, uh, to play that uh, last chorus one more time. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. It's God's Spirit that calls us. Let's stand. If you feel led to come and pray, you pray. And I'll pray with you.